Amen. Thank you, Tim. Well, I'm Andrew. Um, I want to just start by re- reiterating some of those prayer requests. So, um, first, when uh, Afghanistan and Haiti hit, uh, one guy in our church started texting Tim and I and just said, hey, we need to be praying. We need to be um, praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. We need to be praying for our country. And so uh, he laid out a couple of things. He wanted to kind of call an emergency prayer meeting Friday, and then Friday kind of blew up, and that just didn't happen um, so Wednesday night, Dave Stevens is going to uh, facilitate prayer meeting for those things. So we just want to pray for our world that is in chaos right now. Um, and then uh, with Jessica's situation, uh, I just want to say that that song we just sang is so appropriate. And I will attest to her faith in Jesus Christ loud and proud because I knew her. I had walked with her, Aaron and I had gotten into her life, and I can tell you she loved Jesus, and she struggled like all of us do. And Alyssa's here this morning. She's down the hall with our kids, and her friends are loving on her like only kids can. And so I just encourage you, if, if you see her today, don't overreact. Don't make a big deal. She's still processing, and that's going to take a while. But my prayer for her this morning is that she would feel loved and safe in this place. And then finally, um, you probably got a letter. And if, if you heard Mark say, Andrew and Aaron are feeling called away, and you went, what? Then either you haven't read your mail or you didn't get a letter, and I'm sorry for that. We tried to do our best. And, and maybe you heard those words and you went, um, did I hear him right? Yeah, yeah you did. But it's going to be a process. And so the first thing I just encourage you to do, would you please watch the videos that I did? Okay, I, I, I tried to tell a, a, a larger version of the story in those videos. I, I tried to share the vision that I think God is laying on my heart, not just for a church in Iowa, but for Meadows Christian Fellowship. And we'll start talking about that next week. But I want you to, to hear this. I said it in the letter, I say it in the videos, Aaron and I were not looking, we weren't even thinking about leaving. God did this. And so I hope that we'll just embrace some of the awkwardness this morning. I pray that we'll just begin to press into what is God doing. And it doesn't all make sense yet. But we're going to walk the journey together. So my hope is that you'll watch those videos. I hope they'll prepare us to begin a conversation next week. And then that you'll come next week ready to go, Okay, God, we may not like this. But we're going to just see what you might have in store for us. And we'll begin talking about that together. Uh, This morning, my hope is that you'll still listen to me. And, and, And so... I thought about praying again just to say, okay, let's, let's transition into the Word. So the website's on the, on the screen. That's where the videos are. That's not, a public, that's not a public page. You actually have to type that in to get there. So they have to type it all in. But then you'll get there. If you haven't read the letters, the letters are there too. So you can read those letters. There's five videos. It is an investment in time. Sorry about that. Kind of like last week, you just got to give me some time. 
Hopefully this week won't be quite as long. But now, let's transition the word. I thought about praying again, but that prayer was great. So let's just hang on to what we prayed together, and let's press into the word now. So we're in this sermon series on our shared member values. And as I say in one of the videos, I think this is one of the reasons why God is doing this now. So watch that video. I don't have time to say that today, or we're here for another hour. But we've been focusing on submission... And last week, we considered the direct impact that submission has on our testimony. So how we submit to to authorities or to context that God has prescribed to us in Scripture, how we submit to those things matters to our testimony, our witness for Jesus Christ. It, it, It impacts, it has a direct impact on how people see the goodness and glory of God. And so we want to press into that. And so you can listen to that last week. That was an hour-long sermon. I kind of came unhinged. That's okay. Okay, this week I want to turn our focus inward to our functioning as the church. Because what we alluded to last week is that Ephesians 5 gets to the point where it calls us the body. And so we have to take this metaphor that we've been using and apply it to us. So let me just remind you of those three observations that I've said for uh, three weeks now. Uh, this debate has a popular context. Okay, In the life of the church, there is a debate about submission that's raging, and it usually falls into two camps. And I've just said, I think both sides of the popular debate on submission within the church Hierarchy and equality are inadequate to capture the essence of submission. They both fall short. And so I'm just contending for a third view. And there are people that are smarter than I am and more well-educated than I am, so I understand that we might still debate those things. But I'm contending for a third view. Then I've just said that submission is best understood in the metaphor of head and body. And I I actually had some robust biblical conversations last week that pressed on this issue to say it's more than a metaphor, it's actually a type. And I'll mention that a bit later because I think the person that shared that with me is correct and it has implications. Third, I said, whatever our definition of submission, it must be applied consistently. So however we end up defining submission as a church or even as individuals, we have to be able to live that out consistently in all of the arenas that we find ourselves in. So today I want to just look at that in light of the church. So let me remind you of our definition. Here's what I've been saying. Uh, Our working definition of submission is, uh, at least from my perspective, submission is the willing, consistent, and active ordering of our life under another in order to lift up according to God's purpose and plan and for his eternal glory. Now, again, I I just want to point out, I didn't do this last week. We just got to the end, and I was like, wow, it's late, so i got to wrap it up. I wrote a blog on it this week, but submission does have a line, okay? Uh, Submission is not that we do everything that we're told to do by those orders or structures or contexts that God gives us. And so read the blog. We don't have time this morning. This morning, what I want to look at more closely is the direct relationship between submission and spiritual maturity. 
So last week, there's this direct relationship between submission and our testimony. This week, there is a direct relationship between submission and our maturity, and that matters a great deal. And then I I want to look at or consider three structures that the Bible gives to guide our submission to one another in order of increasing importance. And that's important because we'll start with church leadership, but I don't believe that's the most important context. We'll move to age and or maturity, and and that's more important than just church leadership structures. And then finally, I want to contend that our spiritual giftedness, what the Spirit is doing in us, is the most important context to order our submission around. You go, wow, it sounds like another hour-long sermon, Pastor Andrew. Well, deal with it. Okay, let's jump in. Uh, We're back in Ephesians. And um, I'm sorry, I cut and paste this. My slide says Ephesians 1, 15 to 21. It should be Ephesians 4. So if you go to Ephesians 4, um, we'll be in uh, a little better place. I'm sorry. No, now my brain's off too. It should be Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Thankfully, the verses on the screen are correct. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. All right, we want to look at how we're walking. And there's a connection between how we walk and God's will. So he goes on, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's this correlation between how we're walking and the will of God. So the question would be, does your walk reflect your understanding of the will of God? As you're living out your Christian faith, does that inform people's Um, just perception that you understand the will of God. Now he begins to point some things out that give us hints about the will of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, it is the will of God that you would be filled with the Spirit. And uh, Paul just gives us an illustration that maybe we can understand. When you are drunk, I've never been drunk, but I've been around people that are drunk. When you are drunk, you are consumed and controlled by that substance. You you are consumed and controlled by that substance. And Paul goes, hey, you people in the church, you've probably seen drunk people in your life. Okay, I, I don't want you to be drunk because then you're controlled by something that's not good. But I want you to be consumed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That is God's will for you. So it is God's will that you are filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit redefines us and empowers our life. So the Spirit consumes, it totally redefines who we are, and then controls, it empowers our life. He goes on, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. All right, so, so the will of God is that we would live together in such a way that our life together would be like this incredible piece of music that t- when we're together, we're just like singing to each other. Wow, 
Um, I, I don't know how often you sing to one another. I just challenge you, maybe the, this afternoon, just think about how you could sing every interaction you have. Okay, it's a little weird. Okay, but it might be a little fun. But, but our life together is to be like this collective song unto the Lord that's encouraging to us, that's glorifying to the Lord, that resonates with this beautiful music to the world. That's God's will for us. Then he says, uh, giving thanks always and in everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so this, this life that is controlled by the Spirit, consumed and controlled by the Spirit, should bring about this musical element of our life together that we're singing to one another and that we're part of this wonderful chorus of music that everybody around us is like, wow, I just want to sing because these people are singing so wonderfully. And it just overflows in this thankfulness in our hearts. We're thankful for everything. Okay, so how, how do we realize that? How, how do we like press into that? Well, Paul tells us, submit to one another. We, we, we could shortchange this. We could say, okay, God's will is that we would submit to one another. And what submitting to one another looks like is this spirit-filled, joyful song of thanksgiving to the Lord that we all participate in. So we could say that we submit to one another simply because God tells us to, because he does. But it's far richer than that. God says, submit to one another because that's how, that's the vehicle how I'm going to work in your lives together to this end of of this spirit-filled, joyful song of thanksgiving. Now, I don't know about you, but I want more of that. I want more of that in my life. I want more of that for this church. I want more of that for a little town in, in Iowa called Lisbon. I want more of that. I want an overabundance of that. So I go, we have to learn how to submit to one another. Now, in, in the debate, the hierarchy equality debate, they're trying to redefine a term that I like. And so I thought about, okay, I'm just going to stay away from the term, but I like the term, and so I'm going to fight for it instead. I think what the Bible calls us to is mutual submission. Now, if you go and Google mutual submission, you're going to find articles that try to say, well, mutual submission is impossible because it might end up like this. No, you first. You first. No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. You first. And, and, and the argument is that we just stagnate if we mutually submit to each other. That's the hierarchy argument, that you you need somebody to be the boss in order to actually have progress. And I go, okay, that's an oversimplification. That doesn't get at the essence of submission, nor does it get at the true meaning of mutual. On the other side of the debate, they say mutual equals equality. So everything's equal. And I go, okay, the argument against that is a valid argument. If we were all equally submitting to one another in the exact same way, it'd be chaos, wouldn't it? How how can children submit to parents if we go, okay, we're supposed to submit equally? And and so I just want to argue that, I don't want to argue. I I, I just want to say mutual doesn't mean equal. It never has. 
Mutual means shared. Okay, so, so just think about the way that we use mutual, that word. We, we talk about mutual funds. That's a shared pool of money. That's where investors, not in equal amounts, but in the amounts that they see fit to invest, are, are sharing in this pool of resources so that they can buy shares of stock. It's a mutual fund. It's a shared pool of money. It's not an equal pool of money. Some days I wish that was true. Like, I might be invested with, with somebody very wealthy, and I go, hey, if it's equal, let's make it equal. That's not the case. It's mutual. It's shared. Or, or, or think about a mutual relationship. Do you know everyone in this room equally the same way? No. But if you look around the room, do you know everybody in this room? And maybe you go, well, no. Well, there's some visitors present. Great. Come on over and stop at the Welcome Center after we're done, and we want to give you a little gift and say welcome. But for the most part, as I look across this room, I go, I know you, but I know you to different degrees. But we share a relationship. That doesn't mean that we know each other equally. That doesn't mean that we have the same exact relationship with one another, but that we share in relationship. So mutual submission, this term that I like, just means, hey, we're going to share in the submission. And there's two implications to that. We're going to share in this mindset. It's what Philippians called us to way back when Drew preached on submission. This mind, have this mind of Christ. Would you share the mind of Christ? Would you have a mutual understanding of submission like Christ does? Would you share in that? Also, it implies that we share in the outcome of that, which should be incredibly motivating. Because that begins to suggest that as the body of Christ, we live in this inseparable, interdependent relationship. Here's what that means. Your spiritual growth impacts my spiritual growth. And my spiritual growth impacts your spiritual growth because we share in the body. Now, if this idea of submission directly impacts our maturity, as I'm going to continue to argue that it does, again, I don't want to argue, but okay, then my understanding of submission affects your maturity and your understanding of submission affects my maturity. Okay, so let's just kind of backtrack through Paul's argument here. Let's back up to Ephesians 4, verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, so now we're getting into that metaphor of head and body again. Interestingly, that's, that's the metaphor that, that Paul continues to press in as we go through Ephesians 4 and 5. And here's where that idea of type, I think, becomes so significant. A metaphor is a picture, and, and I, do, I do believe that Paul wants us to get the picture I think Paul wants us to see something here that helps us to understand what submission is and how we engage in it and why. But it's bigger than that. A type in the Bible, to think about typology, 
It's a special kind of symbolism. Okay, it's a symbol of something that represents something else. We can define a type as a prophetic symbol because all types in Scripture are representations of something in the future. So if we think about head and body in that metaphor and go, wait a second, is it more than just a picture? I go, yeah, I think it is. We are living into a representation of something that is future, that is profoundly real. We are united in Christ. We are connected in Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus by the Spirit, we are inseparably, interdependently connected to Christ. And that is the reality forever. So this idea of head and body, it's going to extend into forever. We are representing a profound reality of what is to come. So that when Jesus comes again and gathers his bride to himself, his body to himself, I can't quite fully comprehend all that that means, but we're seeing something more significant than just a picture. We're actually looking into the future as we live this out together. So when you think about Noah and the flood, First Peter says, hey, the flood is related to baptism. Now, I don't think Noah understood all of that. When you look at the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But I don't think Moses and Aaron understood all of those realities. When you look at the life of Elijah and how he was raised again to life, you go, oh, this prophet is going to come to life again, and we're going to see Jesus in all of his glory. But I don't think Elijah understood all of that. So when you look at these types in the Old Testament and see the the fulfillment of that in the New Testament, I don't think the Old Testament people fully understood what they were representing, but they were representing something true and real. And so as we press into this reality that we are the body of Christ, we're actually getting a glimpse of something that's true in the future. And we're representing to the world something that's true in the future for all time. This is a significant, significant reality. So Paul's saying, hey, this is a big deal. Understanding how we submit to one another, it has these implications on our maturity and it has implications on how well we're representing what is true in the future. Man, so we got to figure this out. All right, so now we have to back all the way up to the beginning of chapter 4. And again, we're just backtracking through his argument. So let me just read for us verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me just throw in a parenthetical comment. Way back when we said unity is not created, it's maintained. Right here's the verse that tells us that. We're called to maintain a unity that exists already. 
There is one body. Here's the statement of this unity that exists already. And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the oneness. That's the unity that we're called to maintain, that we're called to live into in such a way that it continues and it grows. So how do we do that? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, we do that by living into this grace that was given to each one of us. We are united, but we are not made identical or uniform. We have diversity within our unity because Christ has given grace to each one of us by giving us a gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Paul's just made a compelling argument that we are to submit to one another. Now, I'm working it backwards. He worked it forwards. He calls us to submit one another, not simply because God says so, but because that is the way that we will experience the fullness of what God desires to do in us and through us. He says that this is so important because we're connected in this body, this this metaphor, and this type that projects something that's true in the future. So there's much at stake. And then he says the primary means that this happens is as we live into the grace that Christ has given each one of us in our gifts. That's why I say the most important thing that I think that we can do in order to understand submission is to better understand spiritual giftedness. That's the most important thing. But it's not the only context that God gives us in the church to order our submission by. So I want to just go, okay, in, in least important is church leadership. You go, come on, Pastor Andrew, that's pretty important. Sure. But in this list, it's the least important. And so church leadership is expressly given to us in Scripture. Church leadership, especially in Hebrews 13, 17, uh, that, that text just says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so so there is a a structure here. There, There is a biblically imposed context that orders our submission. So when, when we just apply the metaphor, we could say, all right, head, body, the leaders should function as head, and the people should function as body. But, but I want to be careful how far we push that, because I think in that context, it is a metaphor. Because really, Jesus is the head of the church, period. But there is leaders that he puts in place. Now, many of you have asked the big question. Well, what do you think about women elders? That's a line that I think we're all just kind of going, is he ever going to say anything about it? No. Just kidding, yes I am. I believe I've come to a peaceful conclusion that men should be elders. Here's why. Because in the qualification passage of passages of 1 Timothy and Titus, we're told that an elder, an overseer, is the husband of one wife or a wife. Okay, so, so we're tipped to husbands in, that, uh, in those texts. Okay, you go, but wait a second. Because if you keep reading, Pastor Andrew, deacons are told that too. So we have this conundrum. We have, we have this challenge and We have to wrestle with this still because Paul uses that very term deacon for several women. So do we say, okay, Paul's use of deacon to define women as deacons, does that overrule that argument of husband, wife, or overseer? Maybe. But I tip the other way to say Paul never uses overseer in relationship to a woman. So I go, okay, so for for Paul anyways, in all of his writings, overseer is consistently man. Deacon is not consistently man. It's man or woman. So that informs the context of those two qualification passages. But it informs it with a question mark. So, so, so I just go one more step. Um, as I've really wrestled with this, this issue, as I've gone from end to end in Scripture, when God comes and calls for an account of the spiritual condition of His people, He calls on men. You can see that with consistency, um, even in a context where a woman is in a position of authority. So I'll go back to, to Deborah. Okay, Deborah was a prophetess before anything else was going on. God called Deborah to be a prophetess on her own right. He called and equipped and gifted and used Deborah in mighty ways. And yet... When that whole situation plays out and God comes and says, hey, what is the spiritual condition of my people? He looks to Barak. Okay, now we could look at all these other examples from Adam 
to Barak, to uh, prophets and apostles. And I just see a consistent pattern that I can't get around. But here's where I think the popular argument has done a huge disservice to the church. I think the popular argument has focused us so intently on leadership, protection, and provision that we have wrongly defined eldership and to a great degree headship. So I want to just say the leaders of this church should be committed to cultivation above all. What do I mean by that? Well, if if leadership and protection and provision are an end in themselves, then those who are put in a position uh, above tend to squash the people below. And that's not the picture of leaders in the church. That's not the picture of God heading Christ. That's not the picture of Christ heading every man. That's not the picture that's given to us in this head and body picture that we have. Instead, what we see is those who we're ordering our lives under are actually called to sacrifice for the sake of exaltation with an A, not a U. If you missed that one, listen to last week. We're supposed to sacrifice for exaltation. That means, men, we're foolish if we don't get women's input. And and I would go even further. It means that leaders of this church should be cultivating spiritual giftedness in all people for the sake of the church. And so here's where I think the popular argument has done a great disservice to us. I, I think we're, we're working with one hand tied behind our back because consistently we have marginalized the giftedness of women. And all of a sudden our body's not very healthy and you can just look at the church in America and see that. My mother is a gardener. Um, I, I don't know how she does it, But she planted flowers in this little corner out behind our back door, which is really our driveway and this passageway to the garage. And somehow, in this corner of concrete, she has planted in these little pots flowers that started pretty small and have become this wonderful garden. This is what leaders in a church are supposed to do. They're supposed to cultivate the garden. Now, I don't know if you've ever gardened, but what I know about gardening is you get your hands dirty, and it's not about you. It's about this plant, and there's obvious fruit to your work. Plants either grow or they don't. So church leadership While I believe elders should be men, I think we've missed the point of cultivation in many of our churches. I think we've missed the point that Christ is the giver of gifts as he sees fit, and we have not cultivated those really very well in anybody, let alone women. And I think we are the weaker and sicker for it. 
So I go, it's an important context. We need to give attention to it. We're commanded in ways to give attention to it, but it's not the most important context. And if we only look at church leadership as how we order submission, we've missed the point because even church leadership is about cultivating giftedness. All right, so the the next context that I think we see in Scripture, if we just keep reading the Titus passage, or if we go to 1 Peter, or if we go to Romans 14, we get this idea of age and or spiritual maturity. And, and, And so we're called to, hey, honor those who are older than you. Honor them. And we should all the time honor those that are older than us. Honor is a little bit different word than submit. Okay, and so when we get into submission, when we get into putting this head-body picture on top of age or spiritual maturity, we really have to tip toward spiritual maturity. And while I think in Paul's reasoning, he's saying, hey, those who are older have pursued Christ more, more longer, have pursued Christ longer, therefore they should be mature. But let me just say that age and maturity don't necessarily equal one another. They are not synonymous. We can grow old and still be immature believers. Age is not a guarantee of maturity. And so for all of us, I just, I pray that we would pursue maturity in Christ, which is related to how we're going to submit to one another. But Paul, especially in Romans 14, he says, hey, those of you who are more mature, you're, now again, we can't press this picture too hard uh, today. The, the type really plays out in Ephesians 5, but we, we can't press it too hard into every passage But he says, those of you who are more mature, what you're supposed to do is sacrifice yourself to exalt someone else. And so he says, you're supposed to be the head. You're supposed to put your interests below others. You're supposed to pull them up. You're supposed to work hard so that they become more mature. Why? Because your maturity impacts my maturity and my maturity impacts your maturity. Because we're members of each other. Because we're the body. And so even as we think about this body metaphor of all of us, there's this little sub-picture of those who are more mature and those who are less mature. And the less mature should be ordering their lives under those who are more mature in, in in a way that lifts up according to God's purpose and plans for God's glory. And those who are more mature should be sacrificing, putting their interests down so that they can exalt another. And all of a sudden, we have this beautiful picture that we've seen as God heads Christ, as Christ heads man, as man heads woman, of this just this reciprocal relationship, this mutually beneficial relationship that just continues to lift one another up. And we're all built up into the head, into mature manhood as we learn how to do this. So those of you who are more mature, would you humble yourselves 
and think about how could I make sacrifices so that those who are less mature in our body would be exalted. And those of you who are less mature, would you, would, I just challenge you, would you ask, how could I order my life in such a way under someone who is more mature so that I could be lifting them up? And to lift somebody up like that could be learning from Wow, thank you. I never knew that. I so appreciate your knowledge and your maturity and how you're blessing me with that. That's lifting up. According to God's purpose and plan, God wants us all to mature. That is his desire. And he wants us all to be unified. And as we'll see in the next couple of months, maturity and unity go hand in hand. We cannot have maturity without unity. We cannot have unity without maturity. They are this cycle that we're seeing in submission as we submit to one another. Whether that's because God has ordained that a church should have leaders or or whether that's because someone is more mature than you or less mature than you, Would we work together to see the whole, this mutually beneficial relationship lived out in this place where we're all built up into the fullness of Christ who is our head. That we're all built up into mature manhood, into mature personhood, into mature Christianhood. So that we're unified, so that we have this glorious testimony, so that we see Day after day after day, people added to the number of those who know Christ. All right, so that's church leadership, age, maturity. Let me get into spiritual gifts. I I think this is primary for us. And I think it has been so neglected in the church. We talk about it. But, But if you look at where Paul engages this metaphor of head and body... In the three primary places in the New Testament, in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 and 5, the context is spiritual gifts. And yet we, I I just don't feel like we've made that connection in our churches. We haven't gone, wow, our church's maturity is dependent on you and me understanding what the Spirit has done in us and then deploying that for the good of the body. And that's why I say it's of the utmost importance because God in his infinite wisdom has given each one of us gifts by the grace of Christ and brought us together as members of one another so that together as each one exercises his gift we are grown up. And so I would just say unless we are figuring this out our growth is stunted. So um, I look at Romans 12 as a primary list of seven. Okay, I I get frustrated with spiritual gift evaluation of like 130 gifts. I I, I can't even comprehend all of those, okay? But I can get seven. I can get a list of seven. Okay, prophecy, service, Leader, teacher, giver, mercy, 
exhorter. I can get my head around seven. And I believe that God has given each one of you a primary gift from that list. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, okay, we get the same metaphor. We get this body metaphor, the body in all of its different members working together so that it grows, so that it's healthy. And there's a whole another list of gifts, and in how Paul presents that, it's an open gift of list. He says, and whatever the Spirit of God desires to do. Oh, may it be that we would not hinder, that we would not quench the Spirit of God in our midst. May it not be that we would say, oh, yeah, the Spirit can't do that through that person. Uh, That's not our call. So often we put these things in a little neat box because otherwise they can be a little bit scary. Otherwise, as we're shown in Scripture, they can lead to chaos, and so we need to treat them with responsibility and respect and reverence, looking to Christ to guide us along the way, but let it never be said of us that we've quenched the Spirit in how He desires to move in our midst. But also, and more importantly, let it never be said of us that we don't know what the Spirit's doing in and through us. And so... What could that look like in a body of believers? How does that help give order to our submission? There will come times where our church needs teaching. Okay? We've probably known those times. There will come times when our church needs encouragement. There will come times when our church needs service and and somebody with a servant gift to guide that. And so in those moments where we go, man, Christ, what does our church need right now? Oh, man, we need a teacher. We need to understand something about God's Word even better. Then my hope is that we know who our teachers are. That we go, according to God's infinite wisdom, according to His purpose and plan for His glory, He has gifted you as a teacher. And we're going to order our lives under your teaching. Oh, Okay, Uh, we need some encouragement right now. This is a hard time. We need some encouragement. Okay, according to God's infinite wisdom, by His power, by the Spirit, He has put within you a gift to encourage. So we're going to order our lives under that. If you just play that out, at least in my mind, I can see how that leads us to maturity. But oh man, that takes affirmation, doesn't it? Oh, you know what I've seen God doing in you? And we need to say that, and we need to hear that, and that takes grace because sometimes we go, I wish I had that gift. Okay, it's grace. It's humility. Okay, that that person has the gift, but mm, man, that person? You want me to order my life under that person? Man, in God's infinite wisdom, he gave that person that gift. So can we humble ourselves and go, yeah, we're going to order our life under that person? It takes trust. 
Man, you get tapped on the shoulder by the Spirit to exercise your gift for the good of our people. My, my heart is, I'm trusting that you've spent time in the Word. I'm trusting that you've spent time in prayer. I'm trusting that you're following Christ. And we can help each other do that. And then that takes submission. Okay. I will willingly, consistently, actively order my life under that giftedness. You go, well, Pastor Andrew, you know, we have four people in the church that have the gift of teaching. Who do we call on in that moment? And if there's ever a question, here's what we're going to do. Lord Jesus, in this moment, here's what we see that you've done in our brothers and sisters. You've given them the gift of teaching, and we need to have understanding of your word. So would you speak? Would you tell us who are we to listen to? And we're going to submit to Christ, believing that he will make himself known. Because Christ as head longs for, desires, gave his life so that you and I together would grow up into his fullness. But can we trust Christ like that? Spiritual maturity what the Spirit is doing in us is critical. So next week, we're going to pray. Okay, God. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. So maybe we're going to start with praying. Hey, God, um, just whatever, whatever Pastor Andrew's been saying, if it's true, would you just let it resonate in our hearts? And, and then, Father, would, would you help us to know how to do this? Okay, so last week I made a comment about masks. Shouldn't have done that. So it's not my call. It's an elder call because we have leaders in our church. But the CDC and now Cook County has said, hey, inside, Masks. Except you religious places, we don't want you to sue us, so you get to make the call. Okay, submission gets a little harder in that moment, right? Because I can go, hey, if the governor declared it, we're going to do it. And he went, ha, 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 I didn't. Now you make the call. So how do we submit to one another in this? How, how, how do we figure out what's best for our church? Man, next week we need to pray about that. We need to pray about that. Pray for us as elders. We've been down this road once. It's not a fun road. And here's my prayer. I go, wow, God, we get to do this again? Sweet! Can we do it better? So pray. God, you're calling our senior pastor to go plant a church in this little town in Iowa? That's crazy. What are you doing? Is our church going to die? Is this the end? Who's going to be next? When's this going to happen? I understand all the questions. So we pray, okay, God, how do we order our lives well under this? How how, how do we look into this and try to affirm Pastor Andrew's giftedness? And how might that play into what's going on? And how, how does our giftedness together fit into filling that hole?
How can we submit better to one another through this process so that even in this difficult time, we're grown up into the fullness of Christ who is the head? I hope if for for no other reason that this idea of submission drives us to our knees because we go, I don't know how this plays out. Whether we're talking about masks or whether we're talking about marriage or whether we're talking about transition. So my prayer next week will be, Jesus, help us figure this out together. Because as we submit to one another, we are grown up into this spirit-empowered, beautiful piece of music that resounds with thankfulness. So let's pray. Father God, I do ask today that you would help us. Father, we find ourselves in troubled times. We find ourselves in places that we probably don't love. And yet so often it's in times of difficulty that you do your most profound works. So Father, in all that's swirling in our hearts and minds, whether it's how we submit in marriage or family or the workplace or to governing authorities. Or, Father, whether it's how we submit to church leaders or to those with a greater degree of maturity or to just our spiritual giftedness, what you're doing in us. Father, I pray for your wisdom and insight. I pray for your clear guidance. And then, Father, I pray for fruitfulness that out of this season, our garden would flourish in each of our hearts, in our church, in a new church in Iowa, in our communities around, in the state, in the country, in the world, Father. We pray for your flourishing. So work in us to that end, in Christ's name, amen.